Hey, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Katamba Sidigane. I'm one of the team members and director at Ukutembeka Construction Cost Consultants. Um, today is an exciting day for us because this is actually one of our first podcasts. So I'm with together with my colleague, Johan Fulyun, whom I will um, introduce a little bit just after I've touched on who we are as Ukutembeka. So at Ukutembeka Construction Cost Consultants, basically our primary goal is to add value to your company by providing independent, impartial and value-driven advice. And we specialize in the areas of procedures, measurements, cost management, claims management, settlements, disputes, um, look at quantity surveying as a whole, estimating and tendering, project controls and management reporting and, and training. And this is one of our um, avenues right now in line of our training, which is embarking on the journey of podcasting, something that we are quite excited about um, because we just feel that it's, it's in line with technology. I mean, not everyone is always able to book time away and go sit in a venue for training. So this is another thing which we think is a great one, where you'd be able to listen to a podcast anyway, whilst you're driving in between your meetings as well. So just to introduce a little bit um, the team at Ukutembega. So yes, I've already mentioned that um, my name is Kakamba Sitikane. Um, I've worked on many projects in constructions um, and I, I've got just 15 years of experience in the industry. Um, I've, I've worked and worked uh, and worked in, in um, project management and I've got a BSc in construction management as my undergrad. I've also done my MSc in um, construction project management. My colleague, Johan Fulyun, He's the commercial lead at Ukutembeka Construction Cost Consultants, and he's um, studied, his undergrad is a BSc in quantity surveying, and he's got well over many, many years of experience in the profession. And the wonderful mix that we have is that Johan has worked in other countries outside of South Africa, such as Mozambique, Nigeria, Botswana, Angola, Zambia, and, 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 and many um, other countries that I will not go into right now. So um, that's our team. Johan is a specialist in, in quantity surveying. He's, um, he's got extensive experience in heading up projects in different organizations as well. And also a, a vast um, experience across the board between construction sites, um, mines especially. So we yeah we, we we come bearing great mix of of um experience so yes johan has also assisted companies in, in with tendering tender risk assessments commercial assistance contractual claims adjudications and arbitrations he's also a fellow with the association of arbitrators in southern africa um, and he's also on the panel for general commercial disputes at the Arbitration Foundation of Southern Africa. He's got more than 20 years of experience and we are very proud to, to, to have Johannes as our team member. And so without going into further um, delays in terms of our of, of what we're going to be discussing today, we, we, we will just go straight into it. So what we're gonna be looking at today I'll be asking Johan um, a bit of questions. We're going to be looking at contract pitfalls. Contract pitfalls, and I think um, as much as we may think that we we you know we we're quite comfortable and we're quite knowledgeable in terms of our experience or our knowledge base in construction sometimes some things just sneak up on us unexpectedly and and we're hoping that this podcast will be of value to someone whether it's one project or more than one project and even if it can be one project we'll be proud so um before we go into just looking at the contract pitfalls, I think Johan, perhaps you could, could please help us and let's just look at contracts. What is a contract, you know? And I think then 
you can take us to the deeper level of the pitfalls that that are normally are normally found are normally found in contracts. If you can just take us through, please, what is a contract? How can we just easily and basically just keep those pointers in mind as to what a contract is? Yeah, I think before we before I answer that question, I must I must say thank you for the introduction. And um, I'm actually feeling a bit old now, but uh, <laughs> I think you're the young one between us. So, but thanks a lot for that. Thank you, Johan. <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, what is a contract? So, if we if we start with that question, it's it can be I think seen in dif different than a couple of things. But if we start, we can say that it is agreement between two or more parties. That's for sure. But we also need to remember that not all agreements are contracts. And let me give you an example why I'm saying that. Okay. If, if a husband promises his wife that he will do the dishes this evening, it's an agreement, mm -hmm. but it's not a contract which is enforceable. And because it will most, in, in, most, in most probability, it won't happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> True. So, so yes, it is a it is an agreement, um, but all agreements are not contracts. So the intent of a of a contract is that it's a serious intention between the parties to create legally enforceable obligations. So okay. I think that's the that's the or one of one of the parts of a a contract. So in a construction contract, once it's signed. The contractual agreement creates a promise that certain rights and obligations will be fulfilled by each of the parties. So, in okay. essence, it's a it's a it's a promise, uh, or in essence, the promise is at the heart of every contract. Not the promise to wash dishes, dishes because <laughs> that's not enforceable. But in general, okay. it is a promise between two parties, and it's enforceable. Okay. Okay. Fair enough, thanks. And then what would you then say is the purpose of that contract, of any contract? So the, the main purpose of a contract is to formalize new relationships and it outlines the various legal obligations of each party. Uh, and if I say each party, which each party owes to the other. Okay, so okay. We, will, we will get into that a bit further, but that's the that's the the backbone of a contractual agreement is um, is is that in a commercial relationship. All right. Okay. Then why would why why do we then say a contract is important? I think if you if you look at it and say okay, if, let's proceed. There's no contract in place. If something happens, then how do you deal mm. with? It? I think that's that's the counter question to the question. So. Mm. I think in short, it, it ensures that the one party gets what was agreed. In other words, to build a school, for example, so he gets the school. Mm -hmm. And the other party that's doing the work to make sure he gets paid for what's being constructed or built. So it's it's a, a other way to look at it. It's a, it's a record of obligations, the responsibility mm -hmm. and the rights of each party. and. Mm -hmm. What we must remember is that it is a, a, a legally bound agreement, the contract, and it's definitely and without any doubt, it's enforced by the courts. Mm, okay, okay. And then if we can look at it in terms of a construction contract, how, how do you elaborate there's, on that? There's, there's actually one sentence which puts it mm -hmm. together very nicely is the construction contract is king. So, <laughs> I think it's a, it's the, it's a single most important determiner of our projects or payments and disputes play out. All right. No, thanks, Johan. So I think with that, we can surely go and delve more now and have a look at the main topic of, of, of our discussion, which would be looking at pitfalls. What, in your opinion, Johan, would you say are the most common pitfalls of construction contracts? I think if we if we just look at, or not, if, if we don't look at 
general conditions of contract, specific the GCC or the JBCC or FDIC or the NEC, and just generally of what what I've experienced in in my two years. Or what, what did you say? Twenty-two years, twenty years. What? More than twenty years what, of experience. What, what, <laughs> what I actually got to deal with, or what colleagues or previous colleagues of mine got to deal with. Um, mm. I would, I would just maybe raise a couple of points, and then maybe we can just have a, a very short discussion around it. Um, okay. It's a. If I can start with, let's say, the schedule of deviations in contracts. Mm -hmm. Risks associated with with projects or a specific project. Okay. Uh, stop work clauses or a clause stop work clause in a contract. Program float. I, th I think on, a, on 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 that matter, we can elaborate a bit more on that. But it's it's contentious matters sometimes. Uh, lien. The payment mm -hmm. terms of a of a project that specific project non-variation clauses, delegation of duties, verbal instructions, penalties or uh, delay damages, as we also know it, mm -hmm. latent defects period, and then document approval or document acceptance process and durations. Uh, mm -hmm. Subcontractors, if you're a main contractor and you're appointing a subcontractor, uh, you will you will see a bit, or later in the discussion, you will have a look, or you will hear that <laughs> there was some horrendous situations that I was involved with. But um, and then the I won't say the last one, but I think the last one for this discussion would be the contractual mm -hmm. procedures for claims, for disputes uh, or disagreements. All right, Johan. Thanks for um, just taking us through the different topics which you will be looking at in terms of the pitfalls. But before we even go to any of those topics, kindly just elaborate a bit and let's just look at what do we, what do we mean when we talk of contractual pitfalls or contract pitfalls? Contract pitfalls or contractual pitfalls is, is a is a it's either during let's call it a tender phase while you're doing your tender mm -hmm. and also during the construction phase. I mean, there's, there's pitfalls that can happen to either the employer or the client, mm -hmm. as we know them, or the contractor for that matter. So I think if you want to put it together in, in one or one and a half sentences, if I can call it that, is mm -hmm. that this is, is, is aspects or subjects which either the contractor or the employer sometimes neglect or they forget okay. about it. I am not sure. Mm -hmm. I know uh, sometimes there's, there's always, not sometimes, there's always time pressures. So it, it gets neglected, I think, to a, to a certain okay. extent. And um, I know for a fact that uh, contractors not giving the necessary attention and time which or for that specific subject or part, uh, which then results into a pitfall, but it, it, they don't give the necessary time to it, and then it results to either a dispute at the end, and um, also it affects the bottom line of a contractor, and mm -hmm. in some instances, the employer. So, Johan, I also suppose that um, it may not necessarily be that these pitfalls would um, result in a dispute as such, but you may also just find that, yes, there's no dispute that has come about, but the project or the organization itself will be facing some costly um, consequences as a result of, of that particular item or activity, which, which, was, which now results as a pitfall to the project. But um, so maybe let's just look at schedule of deviations. What examples of pitfalls can we maybe touch on when it comes to schedule of deviations? So I think okay, schedule of deviation, and I think most uh, most people listening to this podcast would, would will know what's a, a schedule of deviations. But 
in in short, it's a it's a schedule which is included in your contract, which changes some parts. It's either a term or a condition or something else that's been agreed, which was not or which did not form part of the employer's RFQ, the request for quotation or the tender documents as such. So sometimes you, you as the contractor, you can qualify certain things in a tender. If you do that, you will either payment terms or a specification on a, on a specific material or, or something in that of that order. You need to make sure that that's included in the schedule of deviation because these schedule of deviations and the wording, and as I'm saying normally, I'm not saying it always, but normally it is such that the letter of qualifications which you submit with the offer cannot be included so it needs all the changes needs to be filled in into that specific uh, deviation schedule so it needs to be very clearly stated that um, mm -hmm. it needs to it needs to be filled in either by hand or typed in and obviously signed by both parties so I think from a contractor and the employer's part or role, mm -hmm. they need to make sure that whatever was agreed, which did not form part of the original uh, tender documents, that needs to be filled in into the deviation schedule. And it okay. must be in clear, 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 simple English language so that it's there's no ambiguity. Because if, if there's ambiguity, sure. then obviously there's another hurdle that you need to get over with. And ambiguities are not normally the, the, the engineer or the project manager needs to decide matters like that. Obviously the contractor can dispute it, but it needs, just to make it simple, it just needs to be clear. Then there's no need to go a step further. Okay, that's a good one, Johan. Thanks for those mistakes we often um, pointing out the mistakes that we often make when it comes to schedules and the deviations of that schedule but now if we can look into risks can you please let's just go through some of the risks um the 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 errors that we may make or overlook when it comes to um to risks on a project or a contract you i think if we uh talk about risk i think that's most probably a six month debate and discussion <laughs> so but we'll fit it in in a minute or two <laughs> um i always i always use the example of uh, a candy factory and a candy factory you exactly know what's the cost of that specific candy bar i don't want to use uh, names but that specific mm -hmm. candy bar <laughs> so if it's going to cost you one rand you know that's the cost you know the wrapper cost that the chocolate cost that everything the caramel cost that and you know exactly what margin you put on it and you know this is the price you sell for it so this is this is the margin that's your take home that's it that's so that's mm -hmm. fairly easy uh, uh, uh. I'm saying easy, but obviously every industry has got its got its challenges. But you know beforehand what it costs. Construction, on sure. the other hand, uh, I always say, okay, you price it. You think this is what it's going to cost, and then if you get the project, you need to you know you need to mark a plan. That's it. Mm -hmm. You need mm -hmm. to make it work in that specific price. And these days, employers are putting much more risks into the basket of the contractor. And the contractor then needs to decide, listen, this, 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 these are the known risks. There's obviously unknown risks that you've got, which you will, during the life of the project, you will, you will need to deal with that. But risks that, that you know about at tender stage, you will need to decide, do you price for it in full? Do you price for it partial? or don't you price for it at all. And I think construction companies deals with this, you know, as internal policies. I know the bigger companies have got risk committees, which 
have a look at, at these type of things and they decide how they're going to deal with it on that specific in that specific tender. But the, the risks just get more and more put onto the shoulders of the contractor and he needs to decide do you price for it or not. And um, I think the one thing that we all know about would be, you know, communities. If we just look at, say, KwaZulu-Natal, Eastern Cape, they, they're volatile yes. areas for, for uh, and I want to just maybe bring it into one basket and so say uh, social economical circumstances. Obviously, there's there's much, many more, but if we can maybe just look at it in, in into that specific basket. But <clears> so <throat> the some employers makes it so strict the, um, but in the particular conditions for a contractor and say, listen, you need to have this in place, you need to do this, you need to do that, da, 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 da. and then you, you as a contractor can, if something happens with a community which has got nothing to do with, with your people or your, your uh, employees, nothing, nothing, nothing at all, and then you end up in a situation where something happens and contractually you will, you will not have any recourse because it's so difficult to, to get um, or fulfillment on each of the conditions that's stipulated in the particulars that you cannot claim for any extension of time or, or cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, it is what it is, and the contractor needs to decide how he, how he deals with it, how he deals with that specific risk. And I'm, in, in this instance, I'm talking just community risk, for example. But it can be, can be flanked over in a much wider umbrella if i can can call it that but so what do you, what do the contractor do does he does he allow for it does he allow for it in full does he not allow for it how do you deal with it yeah so so the the i know um contractors not all of the contractors but the the bigger companies have got a risk register which they develop during tender stage and i think that's important to have that in place and say listen You've got these different types of risks. You've allowed for it. That's the, let's call it the probability of it, that it will happen, a zero or 50 or 10, or allocate a percentage to it and allocate money to it in your tender. If you don't allow for it, then obviously you don't allow for it. But what if a company is so hard up in getting a project that it says, okay, listen, I'm not just, I'm not going to allow for any of these risks. Mm-hmm. And to, 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 with, the, with the idea just to get the get the project awarded to him. Okay, so now the, he gets awarded the project because he was the lowest and he complied with everything else. So you're sitting in a situation there and say, listen, okay, please, God, don't let this event happen. <laughs> but it's construction, it's 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 life and it sometimes happens so what do you do it happens now you haven't allowed for it so mm. as i call it now the snowball effect happens now you it happens there's no record you didn't allow for it. it it is the contractor's risk for example and you need to fork money uh, you know money cash you need to fork out cash to sort this this problem out and the essence of it is now okay it's money that you will not receive revenue for now you run the risk of not getting uh, your financial commitments you you cannot achieve that and you sitting in a position possibly i'm not saying it is possibly there's Mm -hmm. liquidation on the cards guarantees gets called up then it becomes a completely different ball game so Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think there's a specific answer to deal with risks, for example. But, I mean, I, I thought a couple of times about it and say, listen, okay, it, will it not be best if an, an employer or client in his in his uh, tenant document state and say, listen, these are the risks and list them, say community. Yeah, I'm actually know, just weather. thinking the same thing. Mm. And just, I was no, just, just actually thinking, yeah. It's just list them, even if it's just one or five or whatever, list them and say, listen, Mr. Contractor, do not allow for it. Because it's it's a, I want to say a 60-40 or 50-50 type of scenario. And say, 
we've, we've set aside X amount or X percentage of money for this. And if it happens, it happens. Then mm-hmm. you still go through the contractual procedure, um, get it approved or not approved or whatever the, the circumstances are, but then the money comes out of that specific kitty and pay to the contractor. Otherwise, I mean, if all the contractors, I mean, if, if, if you allow for all the risk, you will, in most probability, you will not get the, get the project. So there's a fine line between that yeah. or, or that, or if it happens and it's a big amount, you close the company. So there's a fine line in that specific risk management. But the, if, if, a, if a contractor needs to allow for, allow for a risk and it happens, then it's dependent on what is allowed and actually what the actual cost is at the end of the day. But if it doesn't happen, it's, it goes to his bottom line. Obviously, mm-hmm. yes, good for him, but there's, there's risk in it. And sure. all I'm saying is that there's some risks that shouldn't belong into a contractor's basket. Contractor. It needs yeah. to be a collaborative, uh, you know, attempt and discussion, I think, in, in managing those costs. So there's no clear cut and no clear answer for it. But I think some, some uh, clients would be open for a discussion of that nature. Um, maybe mm. more into, into the private industry, but I think with that, there's still a, a, a very, very, you know, a, a long way that the parties need to walk in the industry with that. Sure. And I think it's also because sometimes we don't know what we don't know, both the contractor and the client, and some level of leniency to the contractor needs to be. But it's exactly it's exactly what you're saying. You don't know what you don't know, and yeah. I would say sometimes it's better <laughs> if it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Sure. So thanks for that, Johanna. And then um, let's look at this other point in terms of the area of pitfalls. When we look at the stop work clause, what is what is what is the sort of over of of um, I don't want to call it negligence, but what are some of the points or items that we stand the chance of overlooking when it comes to a stop work clause? I think it's yeah, a, a stop work clause. I think because I've got a, a contractor's background, uh, I've seen that uh, employers or clients deleting this, this uh, specific clause. But um, I think in most general conditions of contracts, that they do include for some sort of a stop work clause, uh, or as we, as we know it, a suspension clause. Mm-hmm. which the contractor can rely on uh, if, if no payment was done, he can either stop the work or, you know, reduce production a bit. Um, so, as I said, the, the, the employers do delete those clauses in the particular conditions or the special conditions. And, you know, it's, it's, it's to do with payment and Contracts or uh, construction projects has got interim payments. It's, it's not, uh, if I can say, common law. Common law. You need to mm-hmm. you need to finish the project before you get paid. But I mm-hmm. mean, construction projects changes that common law principle and gives you interim payments, and that's obviously to to assist with cash flow. And if if the contractor doesn't get paid, he's again put in in a very difficult uh, position. So my question is, if if a if an employer or a client deletes the specific clause, is it fair? Mm-hmm. Then you think, then you think, or <laughs> I think everybody thinks about it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't it's not about if a contract is fair or not. It doesn't matter if it's not if if it's not fair. It, it's still enforceable, as we said previously. It's enforceable okay. if you agree to that doesn't matter. The courts will, in, in, in all probability, see that, say, listen, this is what you agreed to, and this is what you need to stick with. So um, if, if, if the clause is deleted, then obviously the contractor will not be able to suspend the works if he gets paid late or paid not mm. at all. The, there's still a contractual obligation to finish the works. So I think uh, there's, there's the JBCC and the FIDIC contract, which deals with 
um, either a, a, a payment guarantee, and if I say those specific conditions of contracts, I mean the, the standard conditions, not particulars of or change specific or condition terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. um, the JBCC uh, provides that the employer needs to give a payment guarantee, and FIDIC in clause, I think it is clause 2.4, if offhand, if I remember correctly, that the employer must provide details of his financial arrangements. But mm -hmm. these these things gets gets taken out or signed out or written out, and it, then it makes it very difficult for the contractor. So in some way or the other, both parties need to sit around the table and say, listen, okay, this is this is the scenario, this is the case. If we do not pay, this needs to happen. So that there's some recourse for the for the contractor. I mean, he, he can't just proceed with the works and pick up a bill, obviously dependent on how big the company, the contractor is, and how big the the, the project is, but you, you can't just go on forever in in uh, trying to complete the project out of your own finances. I mean, that's mm -hmm. definitely not the intent of, of the of the contract. That's 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 <laughs> That's what we would like to believe. But sometimes, you know, when as a contractor, you find yourself um, in a situation where, for example, this particular clause in whether it's the JBCC or the FEDIC has been taken out, it's not so easy. And you wonder what's, what was the thinking from the client side, you know? It definitely it definitely is what it is. And if it's if it's removed, then it's removed. And and I, I, I know it's not that easy for a contractor to you know include a qualification for it and say, listen, I need a, a payment guarantee. Yes, you can do it, but mm -hmm. some some tenders doesn't allow for it. Um, and so you you can't do you need to price whatever there is. And it, that makes it, I think, very difficult. And then it comes down to, to what what's the appetite of that specific contractor in accepting that term or condition. So it's 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 difficult. And but unfortunately, is that's where where we are. And even if you then say, okay, now let's say you deem it a risk, then do you allow for it or not? Then we're back to one of the other pitfalls. What do you do? Mm. You allow mm. for it, don't you allow for it? If you allow for it, then you know some interest to go and borrow money, then it just becomes you can't allow for everything. So there's always a line where where you need to, I think, assess for your own uh, company what's the appetite. Sure. Not easy. I, I don't think it all. to be always easy. Yeah. Uh, uh, how do they say if if it was easy, then everybody everybody would have done doing it. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah, correct. That's so true. So true. And then if we're looking at, for example, the program float, what 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 areas do we overlook when it comes to the program float? Oh, our program. <laughs> <laughs> as much as we like There's, to believe we have lots of float we don't usually do but yeah <laughs> yeah no definitely not I, I i think if uh if you if you have a look and say okay the the contractor has got 20 days float on his program and he thinks okay and he thinks that there's okay he knows there's a maybe a risk that's going to happen in the next month and then all of a sudden something happens from the employer's side and I don't know, maybe so let's say there was a free issue material that they had to provide and that got delayed. And all of a sudden, you need to include that into your, your, uh, your, your program and update. Then you sit with nothing, most probably. So then you need to mm -hmm. fork out, the contractor needs to fork out the cash again to subsidize that specific event. So yeah, I think in, in, in short, most of the contracts do not deal expressly with float. The Society of uh, Construction Law has got a protocol um, for disruption, which deals quite extensively with the whole float matter or issue. Um, okay. 
And I, mean, I think in, in principle, it's if, if it's not expressly dealt with the contract like a FRIC or a JBCC, then the, the float deals or belongs to the project. So it's a type of a first come first serve. The NEC is a bit more clearer on it as it states that you need to allow specific or what you deem necessary, you need to allow risk and it needs to be stipulated as such in, in, in the program. So that mm-hmm. belongs to the contractor then. So if it's not dealt with specifically, then then it's a first come first serve basis. So if the other parties event occurs first, then he's entitled to it. And you will and the contract will net not be entitled to any extension of time until obviously the critical path is then affected. So I would I would and again I'm saying I I would like to see contracts deal with that more expressly. And I've never been in a discussion with with parties which this was let's say on an agenda of, of a negotiation meeting. And I would I would say I would like to to see that more as part of of a, of the agenda of the final negotiations as it 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 becomes a it becomes an an issue uh, I, I won't say always but down the line you never know what happens and then at least there's some something agreed to it so yeah and there's a level of somehow each of the parties have a basic um, perception of what the other things when it comes to to this topic of the program flow. You're right. It would be nice to have this discussion at negotiation stage. So um, let's just look at the lien then, Johan. Yeah, look, the uh, lien, um, there's some contracts obviously dealing with it expressly. If it doesn't deal with it expressly, then you need to fall back on common law principle. And the common law principle regarding a, a lien is when uh, when the site is handed over to uh, the contractor, the contractor has lien over the property until he is paid. So if he doesn't get paid, he's got lien over the property. But again, mm-hmm. particulars or specific uh, clauses, they the, the employers or the clients writes it out. So where, where does the contractor stand? So it's it's again a, a, a difficult situation. Do you accept it as a contractor? Don't you accept it as a contractor? And I would believe that as a as, let's call it as a result of the intent of the parties in getting the project done mm-hmm. with with as little as possible problems or hurdles i would say if if a client if he if he if he's if let's say if he gives a payment guarantee for example or okay. re, um, details of his financial arrangement as we said previously if, if he gives that then if the contractor wants to accept it and say okay when this is done he waives his lien then it's fine but if the if if the employer removes these clauses and also doesn't uh, uh, removes the lien clause and expressly state that this is removed, uh, it, uh, in other words, you lose your common law uh, entitlement, or if it's there's no uh, payment guarantee that needs to be provided or no financial arrangements that needs to be pro- be provided, then where does it leave the contractor again? So, I think with let's call it good faith between the parties if if the employer is um, if he if if he's sure that he will pay on time then why don't leave, why don't you want to leave it in then leave it in then you know there's no hiccups later on mm-hmm. but so, so there needs to be a fine balance between the lien clause if there is a lien clause if jbcc has got one um, if I remember correctly, the other contracts doesn't have, but then you, you're falling back on common law principles. But it needs to it needs to deal with it between the lien and also payment guarantees or financial arrangements. Thanks, Johan. 
Let's look at our payment terms. What are we overlooking when it comes to the payment terms on our projects? So I think the, yeah, I said, okay, common law principles is you do the, do the project, finish the project, then you get paid. But I mean, nobody can, no <laughs> contractor, definitely not in South Africa, can complete the project mm -hmm. and uh, get paid only at the end. I mean, it's just the financial burden is just too much. Uh, margins are small and so on. So, so, but the general conditions clearly stipulates, and I'm talking JBCC, NEC, GCC, FIDI, clearly stipulates how payment must happen. Okay. And they've got various payment payment terms, either 14 day or 56 day or, but the at the end of the day, say from a, from a contractor's view, they will want to keep this period as short as possible because they normally with their suppliers, they've got a 30 day payment period. And so they will want to keep within that specific period just to, you know, cash flow purposes. So mm -hmm. that's most probably the logic thing to do. So whatever the general condition states, they will want to bring it into a, a 30 day uh, period. The employer obviously will want to have it as, as long as possible. Uh, which is also understandable, um, but that needs to be there needs to be a uh, an agreement, uh, uh, compromise on on those specific uh, periods, so that each and every party it falls within what they've allowed for or how they do see it. And so the contractor, if he's got his his thirty days, or if even if he agrees, let's say he agrees on a sixty day, it becomes very okay. difficult for them to to do a 60 day with certain suppliers. Um, some suppliers do, don't, they don't object to it, but it becomes a, a juggling act cash wise to um, yeah. fall within that period. And I think everybody will, will agree with that. So that, that specific period needs to be carefully managed during negotiation mm -hmm. stages, because if, if, the employer wants to keep it. I mean, I've seen contracts mm -hmm. under 80 days. So, I mean, it's just. That's, yeah. that's, that's it's, tough. Look, I will shake the contractors and accept <laughs> that. But there's contractors that they, they do accept it. But um, the, the, the thing is, it, it, there needs to be a, a, a midway agreed to it. Because if mm -hmm. the, contractor cannot um, commit or to, uh, to, uh, yeah, let's say commit to his financial obligations to his suppliers and subcontractors and he can't pay them then that becomes again a, a snowball effect as I said previously mm -hmm. so sure the employer also needs to under, understand that because if, if he's got a contractor that's financially on a cash basis, there's difficulty, then it affects everything. It affects the project. Mm. It, it, it just becomes, it becomes a mess at the end of the day. So that needs to be, it needs to be managed correctly and say, okay, listen, let's do it a 30 day or a 28 day and stick with it. Make sure it gets, it, uh, the contractor gets paid and the contractor needs to make sure he, he delivers on his uh, uh, cash forecast, which he, needs to provide the employer. Um, otherwise, obviously, he will, he will not be able to commit to use, say, time-related obligations, not receive sufficient mm. funds in a, in, a, in a month. But what, what bothers me a little bit, um, and, and I've been personally involved in a project, was a, it was a, let's call it a FIDIC type of contract, but it stated that you need to the contractor you get paid in 30 days if you mm. if you do not get paid within 30 days you need to provide a notice and that is a let's call it a 14 if i remember correct it's a 14 day notice so only after that you will be entitled to suspend so all of a sudden the employer plays that clause it doesn't pay you in 30 days and he waits for your 14 day notice and he pays you on day 30. Within. So um, all of a sudden, it's not a 30, a 30 day payment provision. It becomes a 44, 45 days. Provision. Mm. 
and that makes quite a difference in in a, in in you know in a in a cycle it makes quite a difference so it needs to be again at negotiation stage that needs stages that needs to be clarified and clearly clearly stipulated and i mean a contract is there to be honored so yeah. i know maybe there's one month that there's difficulty but yes then uh, communicate that to the other party and then uh, try and make sure it doesn't happen happen again it doesn't happen for 12 months 12 consecutive months then it becomes a problem challenging times and yeah, sometimes it feels like the contractor gets the raw end of the stick but i'm not going to bring that into this topic <laughs> <laughs> we will respect our employers <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, yeah, but I think mutual respect is very important. It's a it's a key thing that I'm taking out of this and um, open communication as well, you know. Correct. And and I think even on the side of the contractor, it's very important that as much as maybe you are, I'll use the word desperately wanting to secure a contract, this is one area to really pay attention to when it comes to the payment terms, because it can just cause unnecessary strife to, to, to find yourself in that 44, 45 day payment term, because yeah, your suppliers may not be that lenient. Correct, correct. Yeah. All right, so Johan, let's have a look at the non-variation clauses. What, what what do we overlook or what are we more inclined to overlook when it comes to the non-variation clause? Yeah, Q, I'm on non-variation clauses, I actually, in, in, in a lot of discussions that I've got, I do refer to non-variation clauses. So I think this is one of the, one of the arts of a contract and mm -hmm. people do not always realize the impact of a non-variation clause. And a non-variation clause, all all the general conditions has got some sort of a non-variation clause to it or included in it and mm -hmm. i think in in just general principles um it is a where a written contract provides for no changes there to unless it is in writing and signed by all the parties and have a look here it's parties it's not the mm. engineer or the project manager, it's the parties to the agreement. So this always also means that any variation agreed upon orally or by conduct will not be enforceable and they have no effect. So it means that, that if a engineer, and I'm saying now engineer, equally mm -hmm. a a principal agent or a, a, a project manager writes you an email or the contractor mm -hmm. an email and says, listen, um, instead of a 14 or 28 day notice for a claim, uh, you can give it in 40 days. Mm. So yes, it's in writing, but is it agreed and signed by the parties? Uh -huh. Not the parties. Uh -huh. okay. So then you proceed and something happens and potentially go to dispute and now, now all of a sudden this email gets 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 taken out and say, listen, but there's no authority of the engineer or the PA to, to change the conditions of contract, which is correct. They haven't, there's no, they, there's, they haven't got the right to do that. And sometimes contractors forget about it. And, and this applies to everything, not just a notice to claim. This applies to everything. If a contract states this, this needs to happen, nothing else. Mm -hmm. And there can't be any other agreement here on the side. Yes, there can be, but it's of no relevance. It's, it's, got, no, it, it's got no meat to it. There's no, no, you can't enforce it. So it needs to, it needs to be, it needs to be, strictly adhered to between the parties on a on a contract of, on this and it it's, doesn't matter if a a pm or a pa or even the contractor agrees that with a, a 
with a representative. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. So we must make sure that it's, 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 it's agreed to by all parties and signed. In writing and signed if you want to change something in the contract. Definitely. Okay. All right. That's right. Thanks, Johan. Now let's have a look at the delegation of duties. What do we slip up on there when it comes to the delegation of the duties? Yeah, so there's a delegation of duties. Obviously, the, the PM and the employer's agent or the PA, they, they can do that. The contract, all the conditions of contract do provide for that. Okay. But I've I've experienced sometimes that you you I'm saying you the, the contractor receives an instruction and the specific individual or individual in that specific position doesn't as they they haven't got the authority to issue an instruction especially an instruction which has got the financial or time impact to it and what does the contractor do he proceeds with it this is now the delegated party we're speaking about right the, the delegation or mm -hmm. the, the, the sorry what did you say didn't get that i was meaning that the, the individual delegated yes to act yes. in that position so sure. so that individual issues the instruction he hasn't got the delegated authority to do it the contractor re receives this instruction and he still proceeds to issue you know to execute that specific instruction so it becomes a, a and again i want to say and use the word mess at the end of the day mm. because then all of a sudden the employer or the client says yeah but this this specific person or individual didn't have the authority to issue it because the contract allows and say yes this um you you can delegate authority but it needs to be in in writing and mm. most mm. probably in some instances the contractor didn't receive that but then the contract said but Yes, let's call or use the word. I, I actually don't like to use the word assume, but he assumed that the authority was there. So there is contractual ways and means around it. But at the end of the day, I think from a, a contractor's point of view, if there's a, a, a if there's a hint of uncertainty, then <laughs> write to the employer or the employer's agent and say, listen. I received this instruction or communication. Can I proceed with it? Because then it it is out there, and um, uh, they need to respond to it. So it it becomes. I've been in, involved in ugly situations where this thing wasn't dealt with correctly, and mm -hmm. um, it it becomes a mess and a, a, a mess that's unnecessary. If I may ask a question on this, um, what I'm not sure if I can use the word recourse, but what then can a contractor do in a situation where there's this party who is probably not officially delegated and and maybe whatever statement they make in terms of um, a, a an instruction that they're issuing to the contractor. And if the contractor assesses that instruction and realize that this will have a time or cost implication, but I've got no clear, or I, there's just no evidence of a delegation to, to this particular individual. And as you rightfully say that, then the contractor must send in maybe, I would assume an email or a letter, but if there's no response, then you do not act. Am I correct? I would, I, I would, I would personally then follow up with a uh, letter again, a, a communication, and say this has been submitted. We have requested this information; it hasn't been provided, and mm -hmm. we 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 cannot proceed with it until okay. we receive a clear indication of this specific individual's either his authority or no authority. Okay. Okay, I've got you there. All right. Thanks, Johan. Let's move to verbal instructions. How do we put ourselves in hot water through verbal <laughs> instructions? <laughs> verbal instructions. Oh, yes. You know, that's always a, yeah. I, I would say it's not a, a, a nice debate to always have, but I mean, it, it happens. And I, yes. I would say, I would say that, um, 
the contractors and the employers or, or the employers representative are equally uh, guilty on this because take an example say listen the other engineer or pa or employer's agent pm they go to site they see something on the ground they talk to the foreman and they say no this not this do it this or change it to this and obviously the for, the foreman on the site he doesn't want to upset the, the employer's agent or pm yeah and he he he's proceeding with a with that specific verbal instruction mm -hmm. and now maybe i don't know let's say it's a trench the trench is a bit longer uh, than what it was on the drawing because of this and this and this but it's a verbal instruction so each yeah. each condition of contract do provide how you deal with a verbal instruction but i always say listen mr contractor or mr first mr employer's representative do not issue verbal instructions there is a contractual procedure of who may receive an instruction verbal mm -hmm. or in in writing that is very clear in the in the in the in the conditions of contract and then mr mm -hmm. contractor if there is a verbal instruction your contract will uh, specifically state how you need to deal with it so deal with it in that specific way but to ensure that there's no <laughs> that there's no disputes and q you will know i'm saying disputes do, mm -hmm. do not get involved in disputes but please do get involved in disputes because then at least we've got something to do <laughs> so, <Yes>. so, <laughs> so but keep keep away from it if 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 the instruction is given as the, in the same method as what the contract states then there's there's no ambiguity to it there's no yeah dispute or disagreement that will happen later on and I mean, up to these days, it still happens. And I think it will happen even if my if if my children gets involved in construction, I think it will happen mm -hmm. because that's the that's human nature. But I was we need about to, to try, say human nature. <laughs> yeah, that's human nature. And but we need to try and, and reduce that. It's one of those um, be quick to listen and slow to speak. <laughs> As the one receiving the verbal instruction, just think about it a bit, and then maybe not act as fast as you sh as you think you should be acting fast on it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then, 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 what about the penalties or liquidated um, damages, Johan? I think for for. I think for both parties, some contracts do cap uh, a, a penalty or delay damages. And I uh -huh. think on, on the contractor side, they just need to ensure that penalties uh, or the delay damages are capped at a percentage of the contract price mm. or the final final amount. Because, yeah. I, I mean, it, uh, construction happens and things happen during the construction. I mean, I'm, I'm involved, as you would know, I'm involved in uh, there's one one contract that I'm involved with, which delay damages are on the table now. And it's not, I mean, mm -hmm. everybody knows it's not five rand. It quickly, quickly adds up to millions. Mm -hmm. And margins are tight these days, so that needs to be protected. And, and obviously during the, the construction process, the works needs to be managed, but at least if it's capped, the contractor knows that's the cap. It cannot, it cannot uh, exceed that. And then the employer also knows, listen, okay, if he applies the penalties or delay damages, that's the max that he can, that he can uh, recover from mm -hmm. the contractor. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a definite line. And I think it's important to have a, a definite line in the sand regarding uh, uh, penalties and delay damages. And I might just add myself that um, that's one area that I've got pitfalls, experience of pitfalls in. And I think just that 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 statement you've made, which is it's advisable to just cap the penalties because then you protect your margins that way. And you're not sitting there wondering how bad will it get? At least you've got an idea of 
how bad it can get if it does get bad. Yes, exactly, exactly, and I think that's that's the uh, that's the intent of it. Thanks, Johan. Um, I think the, the the point that you're raising in terms of the pitfalls or the areas that we may overlook in construction contracts is now let's have a look at our latent defects period um, area, please. What what are we likely to get ourselves in trouble with there? I think there's not on latent defects. Uh, I think obviously everybody will know what it is. It's a, it's a defect that cannot be uh, clearly identified when you do your basically your handover. So it's a let's call it a hidden hidden defect that can maybe only manifest itself at a later stage. I think in in simple okay. terms, but but some contracts do not deal with latent defects period at all and if it doesn't deal with latent defects period it will revert back to common law and common law i actually i actually love the saying um it's it it is known to be as they say it's known to be said as infinity plus three years because you will only you'll have 10 years, 50 years to actually get to see the latent defect or to realize the latent defect. And then you've got three years, according to the Prescription Act, to um, to revert back to the contractor to obviously to go back to fix it and okay. or to remedy it. And and so it's it that period goes on for up to that period when or that specific point in time until you have noticed that specific defect plus three years. So it can be one year, two years, 50 years. I'm saying 50 years, but I think everybody will know what, I, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah so yeah. It, it's definitely advisable to make sure that you cap or stop your liability. And I'm talking again, contractor side, to stop your liability at some, some point. So make sure that either in the particulars um, that the, the, the latent defect period is stipulated. And normally it's a, either a five or a seven year type of period. So make sure that's in. Otherwise, mm. you will be linked to that project in, in, indefinitely. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, make sure about that. Documents, documents. And, and durations there? Look, <laughs> I think um, on this on this specific point, the documents approval and acceptance process and durations. Uh, it's a, oh, it's also I think a a, a, a airy subject. Um, okay. I'm just taking you know simple simple terms. Most of the for communications, you can submit, you get approval for it, but you get projects where things just do not get accepted or approved by the employer's uh, representative as it should, you know, in a, in a reasonable time uh, manner. Mm -hmm. And what, and again, I'm talking from a contractor side here is that, the method statements, for example, is is just a thing that doesn't get, I want to say, kept um, in the manner that it should be. And I think if I can refer to a, a general conditions of contract, the NEC contract, I think they did attempt to to try and bring let's call it finality to these type of things because there's time periods which acceptance needs to happen or rejection needs to, or not non-acceptance needs to happen and mm -hmm. um, but it, it it method statements i've been involved in projects where it just i want to say types of never ends not that bad but the contractor submits it the mm -hmm. The, the employer's representatives have, have a look at it. They respond within a week or two weeks. They respond with it with comments. Those comments needs to need uh, they the, the contractor introduces them. They resubmit. Then there's 
something that comes back on comments which hasn't been addressed. It's a new, completely new comment that comes back, which there wasn't any problem with previously. Mm-hmm. Then, then it uh, it gets introduced by the contract. It gets resubmitted. Then the employer's representative say, "Listen, uh, give it to another uh, a colleague of his and say, listen, can you maybe just go through it, have a look? Then it becomes a completely new revised document. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's difficult uh, from a contractor's side. Um, but yeah, there needs to be something agreed that's contractual uh, so that if something takes too long, an approval of a document or acceptance of a document, that mm-hmm. it there's a contractual recourse if this process takes too long. Thank you, Johan. So we've come to the end of our topic for today, and we'd like to thank you for your time taken to listen in. Please be on the lookout for our next podcast, and we aim to focus on a few topics to discuss construction contracts. And we certainly hope that from the discussion that we had on today's topic, at least one project may benefit from from, um, the points that were raised by Johan. And going forward, we're hoping that we all just make more effective decisions, better decisions to benefit the projects that we are representing. So from myself, Kagamba and Johan at the UCCC team, we again say thank you until next time.